Hi there, I'm Michelle Musi, the irreverent, feisty, but irresistible author of Love Capades. And I'm Sally Kaplan, Michelle's partner in crime as her editor and clever co-host on this audio adventure. Welcome everyone to the Love Capades podcast. Welcome to episode nine of the Love Capades podcast. We left off last time with Michelle describing her sassy and soft sides, along with several more of her love capades. This episode continues with a batch of fun shenanigans and light bulb moments, too. So let's get started. Around the same time in the 1970s, I met another interesting man named Peter Seibert. His last name was one letter away from my husband's, Seibert. A weird little factoid. This was actually a blind date arranged by some of my real estate cronies. The rendezvous was set up for dinner at the Huntington Hotel on Knob Hill in San Francisco. Pete, as he was called, was about 20 years older than I, of medium build, bald with a semicircle of hair, a kind face, not unpleasing looks, but not my turn-on type. I learned he'd been an elite ski trooper in the 10th Mountain Division in World War II. More impressively, he was the founder of the ski resort at Vail, Colorado. The reason for his visit to San Francisco was to promote funding for his latest venture at Beaver Creek, Colorado. His resume was certainly intriguing enough. The group, mostly possible investors, dined in grand fashion that night. Pete knew food and drink and ordered them up liberally. I drank way too much red wine throughout the evening, so was ten shades beyond tipsy by the time the party broke up. There was no way I could drive home, so I ended up crashing, literally, in Pete's room. The morning was awkward, and I had a ferocious hangover, but I needed to get back for an appointment at my office. I didn't really expect to hear from him again, but was surprised by a phone call later that week. He wanted to know if I would join him for a weekend in New Orleans, 10 days hence. I was quite flattered but told him I'd have to think about it. He agreed to check in with me a few days later. The good news is that he wasn't married, but the bad news is I wasn't attracted to him. And we all know what a weekend getaway implies. I'd never been to New Orleans, so was conflicted about how to respond. I finally decided that if I had my own room, I would be able to fend off his unwanted advances if necessary. When he called back, I explained that if I were to come, I would need to have my own room. He agreed to my request, seemed pleased that I would be joining him, and said he would arrange airfare for me. I arrived for the caper on a bright fall Friday, and he picked me up at the airport. We went back to the hotel to check me in, and that's when I found out he'd pulled a bait and switch. That is, he had booked only one room which had two beds at least. I was perturbed to say the least, more like I was pissed. But what was I to do? Making a federal case out of it would have ruined any chance for either of us to enjoy the weekend. 
Luckily, we did have a lovely three days in a place that has more personality than a comic on drugs. I remember how sparkling the weather was, sunny skies with zero humidity. We did the touristy things from beignets to Bourbon Street and explored the back alleys as well. We even found a restaurant that had formerly been a church, so ate a delicious meal under Gothic arches. Pete did know how to live well, which I liked. The only sour note, of course, was fending off his sexual advances when we were back in the room. So unpleasant. After I'd said no several times, he finally backed off. He was a nice man, a kind man, sophisticated even, but I just didn't want him to jump my bones. After our jaunt, he didn't call me, which was fine with me. However, had I said no to what was offered, I would have missed a mostly delightful visit to one of the world's sexiest cities, even if I'd declined the sex part. Around 1980, my life was consumed by making real estate deals and playing tons of tennis. In fact, I made a lot of my client contacts on the tennis court and often arrived at the office in my tennis talks. One place I loved to visit for R&R was Rancho La Puerta Spa in Tecate, Mexico. I'd go to immerse myself in heaps of exercise, massage, healthy food, and of course, to lose weight. I'd usually go for a week, but one time I stayed for almost a month, determined to get really sleek and fit. As karma would have it, while there, I met yet another fascinating man who added a notch to my love belt. Don't get me wrong. I wasn't setting out to create a long list of lovers. It wasn't like that. I was neither prudish by this time or promiscuous, but led by what intrigued me. And as an independent woman armed with birth control, I was one of the first generation liberated to make those choices. While at the ranch, as it is affectionately called, I had a profound spiritual experience. Most mornings, guests would take the mountain hike up a steep, rocky peak as an early start to their day. I didn't like to go with the group because I couldn't keep up the pace, so I chose to do the hike alone. Always arduous, I would feel proud of myself once I'd reached the summit. One morning, as I walked along the ridge, I literally heard the voice of God speak to me. I'd been experiencing some financial woes and internal struggles, so God framed his message this way. You are not alone. I am on your team. I instantly knew this was a burning bush moment, a turning point in my life. Once home, I followed the promise of the message and actually became a Christian, joining the local Presbyterian church, later becoming a deacon. I have digressed here to put later love happenings in perspective. And while on this short detour, it's a good time to share another of my father's transgressions. He was mostly a caring and loving father, but he did some pretty outrageous things on occasion, which left painful impressions on me. I had been taking Bible study classes at the church for a while and came to appreciate the importance of being baptized, something my parents had neglected during my youth. I was to take the big dunk on an upcoming Sunday and wanted my mother and father to be there to witness the event. My father answered when I called to invite them. And here was his response. 
Well, doll girl, one of his better nicknames for me, we have a golf date that day, but if it rains, we'll be sure to come. Without even consulting my Presbyterian mother, he had said no, thereby missing the chance to show loving support to his daughter. Bad form, Dad, and something I have never forgotten. Now, back to the Rancho La Puerta romance. Before I'd actually taken the plunge into structured rather than free-floating faith, I did have an illicit affair with the interesting man I'd met during my month-long stay. Without naming names, he was at the time a well-known professor of psychiatry who was on an extended sabbatical writing a book. We became friends and eventually lovers, even though he was married. My attitude about sleeping with married men had not evolved by that point. This fling occurred during the time of the Iran crisis in 1980. And I remember one evening seeing on the doctor's desk a letter on White House stationery from Jimmy Carter asking for advice about how to navigate negotiations with the Iranians. I was pretty impressed with this, although I wasn't as taken with his lovemaking ability. Whether out of guilt or age, he was much older. The sex wasn't very good. But he was a fascinating man, and I enjoyed our connection. He even offered some insight into my personality and my quandary with men. He basically said I came off with a kind of I dare you approach, which made it a bit daunting to take me on. Again, was this a self-protective tactic? An attitude about thinking I was smarter than most men? A test to see if the guy was worthy of me? Or just my style? I'm not totally sure. Probably it's a combo of all, but it does explain a lot of my love history. As with many of my affairs, I did see the psychiatrist subsequently in San Francisco, but ours was not to be a long-term thing. You can see that my pattern is pretty clear. Meet appealing or powerful men, engage, and then move on. In my own defense, many of these men were married, a definite deterrent to longevity. There are notable exceptions, of course. Some of my relationships were long-standing, and some made appearances on and off throughout my lifetime. The on-again, off-agains. Here's a good spot to insert one of my love bites, this one having to do with a Rancho La Puerta visit. On one of my jaunts to the Mexican spa, I got the unfortunate news that my house had been burglarized. I was in a quandary whether to cut my week short and race home to deal with the problem or chill out until I returned. Interestingly enough, on a morning hike, I ran into the CEO of Allstate Insurance and posed the question to him. He advised me to finish the spa week and then handle it. So when I eventually got home, Wendy and Lynn came over to see the mayhem and offer moral support. Everything had been ransacked and was in a frightful shambles. Together we walked into my bedroom to find several vibrators strewn helter-skelter around the bed. Witty Wendy, the realtor, exclaimed, I've never known 220 voltage required in a bedroom before. <laughs> Her remark eased the tensions and gave us all a huge chortle. Such a scene. <laughs> 
Now back to the recurring love affairs. One of these was the hunky basketball player from my grad school days, the delicious Xander. Exactly seven years into his marriage to the high school sweetheart, he appeared one day at my door, more handsome than ever with his dimples blinking at me like beacons. I was thrilled to see him after more than a decade. We chatted, and then he invited me to go with him on a picnic a few days later. Intriguing. He picked me up for our date, drove us over to the Stanford campus, and parked at the Frost Amphitheater, where my troubled graduation had taken place. The large, tree-lined bowl, with rows of stadium seats carved out of grass, was empty of others. While laying out the picnic, he explained his mission. He had the seven-year itch, and it was an I was his number one choice with whom to act out the ritual. As you recall, because of his religious convictions, we'd never had the satisfaction of actual intercourse. Obviously, he still had that fantasy, as I did. But now my religious beliefs interfered. As tempted as I was, and you can bet I really wanted to go for it, I demurred. Saying no to Xander was one of the hardest things I've ever done in the sex arena. My crotch crimps right now as I remember it all. <laughs> Will I get brownie points in heaven, or was I just a fool? What drove my decision was thinking how I would have hated if another woman said yes to my husband under similar circumstances. So this time, I kept my chastity belt locked tight. I later learned that he'd found another woman to fulfill his wish. Lucky, lucky woman. Next on the hit parade was a fling with a very eligible, well-heeled bachelor from San Francisco. He was complicated and not keen enough about me, so it didn't go far. But one funny thing did happen. My period was late due to some hay romping with said bachelor. You probably wonder why no birth control again. In those days, most of us only did the pill if in a committed relationship. Looking back, this is pretty dumb, I admit. Anyway, I was a wreck once again, having already endured two abortions. While driving around with Lynn and Wendy, the third musketeerette, on our weekly real estate caravan to see the new inventory, I kept lifting my skirt and peering at my panties. Having seen my incessant peeking in the rearview mirror, they finally asked what the hell was going on. I explained and then asked if we could veer by the local Kaiser Hospital so I could get a pregnancy test. This was way before the over-the-counter ones. You younger women have it so much easier in the sex management department than we did. Believe it or not, my buddies agreed to head for Kaiser. Thank God the test was negative. No pregnancy and no more Mr. San Fran. But our silly capers continued. Lynn was expecting an old boyfriend to visit her from Boston. We all anticipated that she would be spreading the eagle. So in the spirit of good old-fashioned fun, Wendy and I concocted a very naughty plan. 
there was a skylight over Lynn's bed. Wendy and I got a huge roll of paper and made a sign in bold black letters, which we taped to the skylight. It read, Welcome, Steve. Except the guy's name was Chase. <laughs> Needless to say, our prank didn't go over well. We thought it was hilarious, and I find it pretty entertaining to this day. Life continued to be filled with heavy-duty real estate and scads of rollicking shenanigans. I was in a love lull, that is, until the Middle Eastern doozy I mentioned earlier finally showed up. But before recounting this epic tale, let me tuck in another love bite that fits into the real estate realm. The first half of my real estate career, the firm I worked for, Cornish & Carey, put on a fabulous and festive Christmas party each year at the Menlo Circus Club in Atherton. Full bar, dinner, dancing, and a fair amount of hanky-panky. The HP came about because spouses and significant others were not invited. I was never sure if this was a budgetary decision or the owner... Jim Cornish, wanting to stir up trouble. In any event, a lot of rascally stuff ensued. One of my office mates, definitely married Dave, and I loved to dance up a storm. And then we would head for the parking lot, get in the back seat of his Mercedes, and neck like teenagers. Our annual tradition never went beyond canoodling but it surely was naughty and nice. Michelle Mabel, the love saga <laughs> continues, huh? <laughs> oh, my God. oh, so true. Oh, my God. Okay. So I'm going to ask you a few questions. I, I think I'm going to go back to the beginning of this episode to start, if that's okay. Is that okay with you? Yeah, you got it. Okay. So the one that stood out to me from the beginning, of course, was Pete and your trip to New Orleans. And the part that stood out the most was, thank God he wasn't married. But hey, you weren't attracted. It reminds me of like those Shakespeare comedies where there's always someone chasing someone and something wrong and the other chasing the other. Oh, so now we've elevated Love Capades to the Shakespearean, the Shakespearean level. I like comedy. that. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> so you you actually kept saying no to the sex part but but I love that you actually said yes anyway and had a had a grand old time just remind us how that went well you know it's that's an interesting point you bring up I didn't want to get into bed with him I knew that and so I did have to really think through the invitation which is why I asked him to call me back and I decided well if I can get my own room then I can I can manage it so when he called back, I said, yes, but my one requirement is you get me my own room. And he, of course, agreed. And so he sent me the ticket and off I flew to New Orleans. So he picks me up at the airport. And the next thing I know, we're back at the hotel checking in, come to find out only had one room, <laughs> which instantly pissed me off. But there I was. In New Orleans. So I had to make the best of it. Well, you did. And 
that's something I just love about you. I mean, first of all, he had the respect to leave you alone. It seems like he would try and try again, but but he wasn't forceful, it sounds like. And he was a nice guy. He didn't rape me, but he certainly tried a lot, which was extremely irritating. Right. But you had a good time. And it, it sounds to me like it just did not ruin the experience. And I love that. <laughs> so, I don't know if he had as good a time. But <laughs> I think he had a good time. But, you know, he wasn't getting his way, which obviously had been part of his bargain. But, you know, it it's a beautiful city. It was an incredibly beautiful fall weekend. And we did totally fun things. And I enjoyed all of those things. You know, sitting along Bourbon Street, eating the beignets, all of it, exploring the back alleys. It was just delightful, except for that issue. And yeah, and when you think about it, I I have never been back to New Orleans. So had I not said yes, I probably never would have visited that beautiful city. And so it's the yin and yang. It's the good and the bad. It's the... It's the play of consciousness. It's the play of life. But also as a as a lead into the next part of your the episode that you shared with us today, you went to your favorite spa in Mexico and you did meet another fascinating man with whom you did, in your words, add a notch to your love bait. And then you said something that really <laughs> stuck out to me that Don't get me wrong, you said. I wasn't setting out to create a long list of lovers. It wasn't like that. I was neither prudish nor promiscuous, but led by what intrigued me. I got to choose what I fancied. That really stuck out to me because, again, you were a woman of your time, but really a woman before your time. That's a very interesting point because... I had come to a place where I accepted my sexuality. I accepted who I was as a woman. And I was in a place, because I was single, that I could choose with whom to spend my time. And because of the nature of my karma and my life, I was presented often with very interesting men. And I could say yes or I could say no. And if you think about it, You know, that's rare for a woman, particularly in that time. Men always behaved that way. They always got to dilly-dally and choose, whereas a woman was not allowed that freedom. And here I was having the opportunity to do that same thing that men had always done. Well, that's why I brought it up, because I think it's important to let listeners know what was going on at this time, what you were doing, which I think was brave and courageous and fun and large living, was actually frowned down upon for women a lot. It was like fathers would encourage their sons to do it and put a chastity belt on their daughters to keep them from doing it. So, you know, you and your full sexuality was also ahead of your time, I think. I mean, I'd be curious to hear what other listeners think about that. It's the classic double standard, isn't it? You know, it's okay for men, not okay for women. And I think some of that actually still exists, actually. Yeah. Well, it's not only in the sexual arena. It's in every other arena. It's in the business arena. It's, it, you know, it's it's just a double standard. And it was much more emphatic and highlighted when I was going through this than it is today. But it's still not completely resolved, is it? Right. And one of the things you said is at the time, you know, you weren't 
married. You weren't hindered. But men often who were married, it was still okay. It was seen as a dalliance. You know, maybe not okay within marriages, but if found out. But you, you know what I'm saying? The double standard, you even stated it. In other words, if you were married, you probably would not have done this. That's true. My husband might have, but I probably wouldn't have. Right. So I think some of the double standards still exist. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, you were enjoying yourself and your full womanhood, and, and men were enjoying you too. And it's just, it's fun and lovely. So then, drum roll, you on a hike had quite a life-changing moment. Can you tell us a little bit more about what happened? Oh, it, it was truly one of the turning points of my life. I, you know, as I explained, I couldn't keep up with the group because I have some issues with, with my lung capacity, so I didn't go with the group. But I would still force myself to take this very, very difficult morning hike at 6 o'clock in the morning. And so I one day got myself up to the top and was walking along the path. And all of a sudden, I heard this voice. And it was God speaking to me. And I knew it. And he was obviously aware of my dilemmas and my issues and problems at the time. So he framed it in a way that I could relate to. And it was so powerful. And I remember going back down the hill, back to my casita, which I shared with three of my girlfriends, and telling them about the experience. And once I got back home, I followed it and actually became a Christian. So that moment on the mountaintop, a mountaintop experience, <laughs> burning bush experience, <laughs> mm -hmm. really. I mean, it was a big deal. And it definitely veered me in a new direction on a new path in my life. And I have to say, as listeners hear the book, hear me tell the story, one of the arcs of my life is the spiritual arc. And so this was a big point on that arc. There are other things that happen later, but this was a very, very important event. Yeah, I'm glad you bring that up because it's like the love affair you have with Italy comes up a lot. The love affair you have with these various wonderful and sometimes not so wonderful men <laughs> comes up a lot. But your love affair with spirituality it is a theme that kind of begins here and will take us deeper later that I really look forward to hearing. Part of why the next part I think is so upsetting when I heard it is it's so important to you and your father, who's so important to you, wouldn't come to your baptism. <laughs> what was that about? Oh, my heavens. Well, again, what can I say? My father, who was such an important character in my life, and I give him immense credit for giving me the inspiration and permission to become my own independent woman. I mean, he was he he was a big part of that. But he also, god damn it, 
would do things that were so undermining and so unkind, really, and hurtful. And so here I am. I'm so excited. I'm going to be baptized. Now, mind you, my mother's family, which I think I've revealed before, was very Presbyterian. They actually started uh, Knox College in Illinois, which is a Presbyterian college. They were a big deal in the Presbyterian world. And my mother, being married to my sort of heathen father, kind of suppressed that. So she took, again, a back seat, something, of course, that I noticed and later decided not to emulate. Anyway, so my father, I call up and he answers the phone. I tell him about the baptism and he says, well, if our golf game gets canceled, we'll come. He didn't even consult my mother about it. So they didn't come and I have never gotten over that. Thanks, dad. Good move. Well, he also called you doll girl or something. You know, I guess that's oh, a little bit God. better than some of the other names he called you in the read. But Well, remember the famous scene with the fraternity guy who picked me up and he said, now fat girl will be home at, by midnight. Well, why didn't he use, will doll girl be home by midnight? <laughs> Again, I'll never know the backstory to that. Well, back at the ranch, as they say, you did have an intriguing exchange with, I guess it was a psychiatrist who seemed quite quite high up and notable in his profession. I think you, you said lovemaking wasn't great. But once again, you had an exchange with someone, regardless of how good or bad the sex was, that really was meaningful and pulled you in. And something that really stood out for me was something, he had some insights about you. I think the I dare you approach which he felt made you a little daunting for men to take you on. Can you just remind us of what he said? Well, I, <laughs> you know, he and the psychiatrist, who, whom I still won't name because he's quite well known, he and I really became friends. And we used to hang out together in between classes and hikes and blah, blah, blah. And one time I was sitting on his lap and that's when he sort of told me what his assessment of my behavior toward men was. And I found that quite intriguing. And I think he was spot on, of course. But then I had this affair with him, even though he was married at the time. I hadn't quite resolved. You know, I hadn't become a Christian yet, let's, shall we say. So my value system about sleeping with married men had not evolved yet. Anyway, he was a crappy lover, <laughs> bottom line. <laughs> to put it but, bluntly. <laughs> but... To put it bluntly, but he was such a fascinating man, you know, brilliant and powerful and successful and renowned. And I liked him and I was attracted to that, even though the sex wasn't so great. But again, he was a fascinating person to know. But the, the kind of take he had on you is an interesting theme that you've brought up before, which is that you do sometimes with men have an I dare you approach, which for some is daunting. And for others, it's like, hmm, let me take this one on. Let me see how this goes. And then you said, you know, you self-reflected a little bit. And I guess what I want to ask is, why? Why do you? Do, do you know why? Why do you like that? Well, I think I've sort of explained it earlier. Remember the the relationship with the uh, African prince 
and how we used to play ping pong. Yes, very and competitively. I, yes. yes, and I would never let him win unless he could really win. And I was always like that. So, you know, I was never going to sort of demure to a guy just so he would like me more. Either he was going to like me and have the, excuse me, the balls to take me on, or he wasn't. And again, I've also concluded and, and described earlier on in the, in the episodes that European men have far less problem with that kind of thing that American men do. I mean, they might find it attractive, yeah. Well, I'm an American girl, and I live in America. <laughs> so I've always had to sort of deal with this conundrum. And that's just part of who I am, Sally. Yeah. Well, another thing that, that you did say, which I think could be yet another element that you admit to, is it can also be self-protective. Like, you know, how far is this going to go if I dare them, right? Well, again, that's part of my complicated personality. I've got the soft side, as I said earlier, and when I introduced today's episode. I have the soft side. I have the sassy side, the strong side. And depending on who I'm dealing with, one or the other will dominate. And sometimes I use the tough girl part of me as self-protection. And also, as I've said earlier, to get my way. But there is definitely a soft, mushy side as well. And the, the right guy can't elicit that response. The other thing I found interesting is, isn't it true that this psychiatrist that you're referring to in this part of the episode is someone that came in and out of your life? And there are others that the that were on-again, off-agains? Is that what you call them? Yeah, the on-again, off-agains. Well, yeah, he he came, you know, I saw him subsequently. Sex was still crummy. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the one the one guy was Xander. I mean, he came back and invited me to have an affair with him after seven years of his being married to the high school sweetheart. And, oh, my God. Of course, by that time, I'm a deacon in the church, and I'm right. not inclined to want to hanky-panky with married men. So in that case, I said no because of my religious beliefs. And let me tell you, that was so hard. He was so gorgeous and such a fine, wonderful, kind man. The perfect kind of guy I should have married. And so he invites me to have an affair with him. And to this very day, <laughs> I am sorry I said no. And it brought up the question at the time, was I getting brownie points in heaven or was <laughs> I just being a fool? Right. And, you know, if I, if I had to answer that question today, my answer would be, I was, I was a fool. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those things where I'd like a do-over, please. Well, I think at, at one point also, you did say that you you're noticing a pattern in your in your love stories. I think it was you meet appealing or powerful men that you would engage, and then you would move on. So, yes, I I can see why you might feel like some of the ones that you moved on from you regret that you didn't engage a little more with, especially Xander. But can you just remind me what this love bite was? I think you had one that was drop-dead hilarious, if you don't mind. 
repeating the story when you were at the ranch, when you were at the ranch and oh then you heard that your place God. was robbed and what happened? Oh my, God. oh my God, that was one of those hilarious, hilarious <laughs> moments. So here I am again, I used to go to the ranch to the spa at least once a year, if not twice. So I'm up, you know, I'm, I find out that my house had been burglarized and I didn't know what to do. Should I leave in the middle of the week and go home to deal with it or not? So I'm on the morning hike and who is walking beside me but this gentleman who turns out to be the CEO of Allstate Insurance. I mean, come on. God sent him. I mean, come on. My, it's unbelievable. So I, I posed a question. I said, well, what do you think I should do? And he said, don't be ridiculous. Stay here and then go home and deal with it. So I did. And the minute I get home, of course, I call Wendy and Lynn and I say, come on, guys, my house has been robbed and and I have to go check it out. So we all are walking through the house. We get to the bedroom and the whole bedroom is just a mess, topsy-turvy everywhere. And the I had several versions of vibrators. <laughs> I don't know what, what you can conclude from that. But anyway, so, so they're all strewn all over the bed. And Wendy, who is witty as oh all get God. out, says, and again, remember, she's a realtor, so she's coming from a real estate point of view. Well, I've never never seen a bedroom that required 220 volts. <laughs> well... I mean, we all just cracked up, and that just loosened, that just lightened the whole scene, and I've never forgotten it. It was so funny. It was really, really hilarious, and I also love that you're so willing to laugh at yourself about such a, a private thing. <laughs> Let me just say this, okay? Let me just say this. Lynn and I are still <laughs> friends, and yesterday, we all experienced the election of 2020, and we've all been on tender hooks and <sighs> nervous as all get out. And Lynn called me yesterday, and she was in a total twit because she was so afraid about what was going to happen. And I said, Lynn, I don't want to go down that path with you. And I said, but you remember all of these things that happened. And I started to recount all the funny escapades and capers. And I told her about the, <laughs> the vibrator scene. Totally lightened her up. She said, thank you. I needed that. Did she so, remember? <laughs> oh, gosh, yes. yes and so what I'm saying is these, these scenes, these episodes, these moments of levity live on to this day. I mean, even even the the next part that you shared with us where you had yet another pregnancy scare had a lightness in the way you're telling it because of the panty peeping scene of oh. the car. Oh my God. <laughs> Again, that was Lynn and Wendy. Oh my heavens. I mean, they brought uh, out a really sweet side, all of you with each other, obviously. Yeah. I mean, hilarious. I, I Here we were driving around seeing all the New houses that were on tour that that week, and I'm sitting in the back seat, and the two of them are in the front, and Wendy's driving, and I I'm you know a wreck because I haven't gotten my period, and I'd been having this fling with Mr. Hotshot San Francisco, and I kept lifting up my skirt. Those days we wore <laughs> skirts, and I'm looking to see if there was any uh, telltale sign of relief, 
And I kept doing this. And finally, the, the two of them said, what the hell are you doing back there? <laughs> I mean, honest to God. So instead, you know, so I said, can we please go to Kaiser so I can get a pregnancy test, which they agreed to do. And as I point out, we couldn't just go to the drugstore and buy a pregnancy test like you can today. We had to go to a doctor. Anyway, that was that was such a funny scene. And then you had another, I mean, you definitely had silly capers with these people. The whole thing with your friend, I guess it was Lynn, right? Who brought someone home for clear hanky-panky and you put that sign <laughs> up. And, I mean, it's like it's almost like the female version of a frat party or something. You know, as I, th- this whole episode clearly has a lot of Lynn and Wendy stuff in it. And when I look back, we had so much fun. So much innocent, crazy, unfettered fucking fun. I'm sorry, but it was just (laughs) fucking fun. It was just a great time to be alive. And, you know, things aren't so loosey-goosey and lighthearted now. It's so, it's a delight to look back on those moments. Yeah. And that one, that one last Hanky panky story you you inserted as the final love bite that was delightful was, I guess it was, was it named Dave? Who who was the guy that was was married? You danced up a story. It was Dave? <laughs> yeah, definitely married Dave. He was married to the frumpiest girl you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> but he was he loved women, and so here was this scene set by Mr. Cornish for the naughty Christmas party, and it, I mean it could be a movie, honestly all the stuff that went on. And every year, Dave and I had this standing under a uh, date. We'd dance and dance and get all excited and then go out and neck in the car. Neck, neck, neck. You know, necking is great, as I've always maintained. I love <laughs> I love kissing and necking. And, you know, it doesn't always have to leave to intercourse. And in our case, it didn't. Right. And Michelle, you know, you just earlier told us that you were you know, a Christian, and you weren't going to do hanky-panky with a married man because, God forbid, you wouldn't want him to do that, a woman to do that to you if you had been married. But here, again, it's just fun and light. And no, it sounds like you didn't sleep together, right? It was just more... No. It was was serious canoodling. (laughs) And as I said, naughty but nice. (laughs) Yeah. Just looking back at what we just listened to, and you know, you had some love capades that you fully engaged with, some love capades that you didn't choose to engage with, some love capades you wish you had engaged with, <laughs> and I'm sure there there's more to come. But I really enjoyed the lightness of this one episode, and look forward to hearing more. Thank you for listening to the Love Capades podcast. If you'd like to submit questions, please send them to michelle at lovecapades.com. And that's spelled M-I-C-H-E-L-E at L-O-V-E-C-A-P-A-D-E-S dot com. Also check out our Facebook page and website, both called Love Capades, for fun facts and groovy visual stuff. I am the author, Michelle Musi, and my co-host is Sally Kaplan. The Love Capades podcast is skillfully and playfully produced 
by StudioPod Media. You can find them at studiopodsf.com.